Hello. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Floods of Justice. Today's episode is a little bit different. I'm just sharing something I shared with my church on Sunday, February the 27th. And it started out being about the church, capital C, and the events going on in the world, especially in Ukraine. Uh, but there are some other things that were said, and it kind of went in a, in a lot of different directions. I kind of rambled at times, just to be honest. Uh, but uh, I think through it all, you kind of get the gist of what was on my heart and uh, how as a church we need to start really being the church. And again, that's capital C, not just my church, but all Christians everywhere um, in the in the world. And uh, so just to put it in, into context, at my church, I've been preaching through Jeremiah's prophecies and how they relate to the events going on uh, in our day. Uh, but during worship on this particular Sunday, uh, before the message, I felt God telling me just to scrap what I had prepared to say and just talk from the heart. And so that's what I did. And I thought, well, I'll share it and uh, with the podcast and see what they think. So I would love to have your feedback. Let me know what you think about this. If you got any questions as well. But uh, as always, I appreciate you uh, listening uh, to this and to all of my podcasts. And I appreciate you sharing it also. And so I hope you enjoy. have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5, and I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. I kind of battled all week about, you know, do I continue with Jeremiah or do we uh, look at or just talk about some things um, more world-related? And uh, I don't know, during worship, I feel like this is what God wants me to do, so we'll see what happens. I have no idea where we're going, which is sometimes happens. God just says, read this verse and go from there. And uh, so that's, that's what I'm choosing to do. Matthew chapter 16. It's been an interesting week. Um, of course, it's Black History Month and uh, as well, and I mean, we're winding that down and and uh, one of the things that has been said uh, across social media, and of course, you know, you shouldn't base everything you read or, or believe on social media, but, but I think there's a little bit of truth to this. Um, you know, and I think it's more to it than just this, but, uh, you know, the, the world's attention is on uh, Ukraine and what's going on with Russia. And, um, and even, you know, the United States is starting to do all we can to try to help the refugees and to help, you know, the people who are fleeing the country and helping the surrounding countries around that. And, and one of the things that was said, maybe it's because it was Black History Month and people were just recognizing it, but it was like, isn't it interesting that it's European people, uh, so white people, and everybody wants to jump in and help, but when there's wars going on in Africa, everybody's a little bit slow uh, to, to want to get involved. Uh, or if it's in the Middle East, or even along our own southern border, you know, let's open, up the, let's open up the gates and let the white Europeans come into our country, but let's keep the wall uh, in the south um, for the, and, you know, not let 
those, not let those people, and I use that term intentionally that way, it's, and, and I thought about that a lot this week because I think, well, no, this is a little bit different because people are afraid of, um, of World War III uh, going on. And, uh, but yet at the same time, I think, well, you know, there, there might be a little bit of truth, truth in that, that um, people are more apt to want to help based on the color of a person's skin than maybe we'd like to believe. But here we are. Um, you know, it, it was really, really kind of odd. I'll just tell you a personal story. Um, I called my brother, um, Jonathan, because it's his daughter, Emily, so it's my niece. I may have said cousin, but it's my niece and her husband who are in Kiev, the capital city there. And so I called him um, back before all this started, um, a few days actually before it started, and said, hey, what's going on? Have you heard anything? You know, and the, and the news was kind of unclear on, you know, some people thought that, that it was all just a threat, that uh, Putin wouldn't, wouldn't attack. Other people were, you know, Biden was saying he was, it was imminent. And, you know, so everybody was just kind of unsure. And, and uh, so I knew Jonathan was a little bit nervous. And so I called him, and my, my intentions were to comfort him. And, and I said, you know, Jonathan, just, just let me just tell you from personal experience, not over there, but when, you know, we've been in Honduras, when there's been a, a coup, political coup, uh, when there's been threats of violence and threats of war, I said, I know, I know from that experience that oftentimes what you see on the news is, does not reflect what it's like on the ground. So like if it's, you know, if there's a fire somewhere in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, then the news back home is the whole country's burning, you know, the whole country's burning, and really it's very isolated. And I said, so if you start hearing stuff, I, I said, where are they? Because I wasn't even sure where Kiev was at that time. And he said, well, it's kind of in the middle of the country. It's not, it's not on the border of Russia. And I said, okay. I said, well, there's still going to be time because if they do anything, they'll cross, you know, they'll, they'll cross, Russia will cross into the, onto the border, Russia's western border, and, and along the border, and there's some countries who are, who are kind of um, nice to Russia and want to be part of Russia and all that, and that's where they'll start. I said, so just, you know, so I, I wouldn't worry right now. I think everything's good. And lo and behold, I went to bed one night and woke up, and, and next morning they were bombing all over Ukraine. And key where my that that was where the hardest was, and I wanted to call my brother and say, "Don't ever listen to me again." All right, uh, I'm I'm not a a a, a, a news person, but uh, but you know they're safe uh, from that. And then there's been a lot said about um, the church in Kiev. Um, Kiev is um, the main country in Europe where missionaries are sent out from, um, and so it's, it's it's strategic from a uh, from a missionary perspective. And then even there's been some things said about Putin and his relationship to the Russian Orthodox Church. And so now you got this, and then of course in our own country with the, the white nationalism and, and the relationship with um, uh, Evangelical Church and the Republican Party and, and, and all of that. And, and it's just really, really quite confusing. Now everybody's talking about biblical prophecy, that somehow or another this is Gog and Magog. And, and, uh, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know. I've, I've got enough to worry about with without trying to spend too much energy worrying about what's going to happen in the future, right? It's just, it's just today. I mean, Jesus is coming back, uh, and we're getting closer to that every day. And when that happens, how it happens, I don't really care. He's coming back, and that's all, uh, and that's all that I know. Um, but, and then, of course, stuff going on in, in Honduras and all over the world. Uh, did you know that the president of Honduras, the former president, is now under arrest in Honduras? Um, and... Uh, and the United States is trying to extradite him to the U.S. so that he can serve time with his brother, who's already in prison, because they were just all a drug cartel. And, uh, uh, and they were really good friends with the former president. Um, and so now the present president wants him to go to jail like the brother is. Uh, here the, and so they're trying to extradite them. So it's really, 
uh, it's, it's really a mess. And for those who've gone to Honduras with me, the lady president now, her husband was the president who got kicked out of office while we were down there that summer. So it all, you know, a coup got him out of office and now, and now the wife is, uh, uh, is the president. But anyway, so here's the verse I think that God wanted me to read today. In spite of all of that going on, Matthew chapter 16, the famous story when Jesus is walking with his disciples and he begins this conversation, who do you say that I am? We kind of use this in our membership, you know, who do you say I am? Uh, that's a question Jesus asks, and all of us have to answer eventually. We all have to answer that question, who do you say Jesus is? Uh, and the, apostles, the disciples say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, which is really interesting because John the Baptist had, had been beheaded, and so it was either like you're somebody who's like John the Baptist, or there's at least some people who think that the, that the Caesar who put John the Baptist to death by cutting off his head thought that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated that quickly, back, you know, a ghost coming back to haunt him. And he said, other people say that you're, you're Elijah, uh, one of the prophets. You know, everybody had a real high opinion of Jesus. Um, and then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter in, in Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. That's what Christ means. You are the Christ, the one promised in the Old Testament. You are the son of the living God, which means in essence, you are God himself. And then Jesus replied in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. That, you know, it's, it's God's grace who calls us to make that confession. Um, and God's grace compels us. So it's not something you learn. It's not an intellectual thing to say Jesus is the Christ. It's something that, that you believe in your heart, uh, that, that Jesus is the Christ. Um, he says in verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And and the way we take that to mean as Protestants is that on that confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, that's the rock on which the church was built. Catholicism takes that to mean that Peter was going to be the first pope. And so on Peter, he was the rock that the church would be established on. Um, and so that's just kind of the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. We say it's the confession of faith. Uh, that's the rock and, uh, and, and, not, uh, and not a person. Uh, Peter, so on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And that's the key. No matter what's going on in this world, uh, the church will survive. Um, now, it doesn't mean that maybe, you know, every local church, every local church really goes through the process of being born, growing, hopefully planting other churches, and then dying. Uh, and so, you know, none of the seven churches in Revelation uh, still exist. Now, you could probably trace some churches back to that history, but none of them still exist. But the church will never die. In spite of all that's going on, in spite of all of our flaws, and there's a lot of flaws, but in spite of all of that, Jesus has promised that the church itself will not die. Christ is coming back for the church. We are the bride of Christ. Uh, and, uh, and part of what Jeremiah was going to be about, <laughs> which we'll look at next week, is that we are a bride of Christ. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Jews were God's people, and God says that when you sin against God or when you're not faithful to him, that's spiritual adultery. And so we're the bride of Christ, which means that when we're not living like it, we're actually committing spiritual adultery. Uh, and for that reason, Jeremiah was told that he could not marry as an object lesson of that. And uh, one of the other prophets, I can't remember which one, um, God told him to marry a prostitute. Uh, as an object lesson of how God's people uh, were always unfaithful to God. So you're to marry a wife who will always be unfaithful to you as a lesson um, from that. 
Uh, it'll come to me in a minute what prophet that was. But Jesus said, on this rock I will, build, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then that also means, since it's, you've got this idea that there's, the gates of hell will not prevent it, that also means that there, there's one aspect of what it means to be the church, that it means that we're on the, we're on the move and we're on the attack. It's not the gates of hell coming to us, but it's us going to the gates of hell. <laughs> it's us storming the gates of hell knowing that we will not be defeated. And I think maybe that's what God wants me to talk about this morning is because too often as the church and as Christians, we retreat instead of advance. You know, but we don't want to get involved. And so uh, what's going on in our, in our community is, is, is um, not really that important as long as me and my family are safe, right? I'm not saying, I mean, I'm saying that's how we think. It's not how we should think, but that's how we think. As long as it's me, you know, you can't really change anything. So why should you go out there and try to advance the gospel through either personal evangelism or through societal change when, you know, it, it, it's so difficult? The gates of, but the, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. And so, we're, when, so we are to be on the move. We are to attack. We are, take the ba- we are to take the battle to people. Now, I'm not talking about the spirit. In fact, you know, I, I'm really, really thankful that right now our country has shown restraint because I do fear what would happen if we get into the military conflict that now it is World War III. So I'm not talking about that. Albert Einstein was once asked um, what he thought, what kind of weapons would be used in World War III. So this was at the very beginning of nuclear arms and all that. And he was asked, what kind of weapons do you think will be used in World War III since he had gone through World War II? And he says something like this. It's not a direct quote, but he says something like this. I don't really know what weapons will be used for World War III, but I do know World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. And what he meant by that was World War III would be so severe that we'd go all the way back to uh, the hunting and gathering times. Because of, of, of the technology, and there was news this morning that um, uh, Putin has put his nuclear, the part of his nuclear army, uh, on high alert um, to, to see kind of what happens next. And so I'm not, I'm by no means do I, you know, I, so I'm thankful that we haven't just, although some people have called, we got to get in there and fight. I'm thankful that we haven't yet because of what the consequences could be, and I'm personally uh, kind of an anti violent. <laughs> person I, I want to be I want to be a pacifist um, you know I know that there's sometimes maybe you can't help it but it's like I'm a, I tell people I'm a want to be pacifist because the prayer that Sandra reads Jesus said or God says that he wants us to turn our weapons into plowshares you know he doesn't want us to fight he wants us to cultivate things um, and so there's got to be another way violence just begets violence but as a church we're to be on the move and so uh, we do that through prayer. We do that through, through activism. Um, and uh, around, around the world, we can see activists who are standing against and saying, no war, no war, no war. And, um, and to me, that's what God calls us to do, is to take the, the battle to the enemy on whatever it may be. And so as a church, we speak out against the death penalty like we did a few weeks ago and, and, and won a small victory, right? Uh, we speak out against um, the inequality that we see in our community against, uh, and the fact that uh, the livable wage isn't what it should be and, and affordable housing and, and all those things. Uh, to me, those are acts of worship 
um, to speak out. When I write an editorial, it's an act of worship. Now, you may not see it that way, but I'm telling you, that's how I see it. You see. This is what taking the fight to the enemy is about. Knowing that the gates of hell are not going to prevail. And so you move in confidence knowing that the gates of hell are not going to defeat the church. And so, you, and so you move with confidence. You don't move in fear. Now, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be safe, right? I mean, obviously, God has allowed um, people who have stood for him to uh, pay the ultimate sacrifice. Um, but that's because we know this world is not our home. You know? But the gates of hell will not, will not prevail. Um, and, so, and so as believers, where do we stand in this? Well, we have, we have to stand on the right side of things, which means that we stand on the kingdom of God. Uh, we don't stand with, um, you know, our country is the only country in the world. We don't, the, the America first is not a Christian principle. It's just not. Um, because this world is not our home. You know, we are aliens in a strange place we are ambassadors we are to be talking about reconciliation and repentance to everybody and so what happens around the world is is of significance to us who believe in Jesus because we know that our ultimate alliance are with other brothers and sisters of Christ no matter where they live that's more important to me um, than uh, than than anything else and so if I see that it's Christians who are being attacked, then I have to be concerned about that. It's, it's the kingdom of God first, and it's the kingdom of God only. Um, and I hope, that make, I hope that makes sense. It doesn't mean that you're not patriotic, because you are. It doesn't mean that you don't pray uh, for uh, people in harm's way in the military, because you do. That's not what it means at all. You can be very, very proud of your country uh, without it becoming a religion, uh, that, uh, you know, that somehow or another we're different than the rest of the world. Um, that's just not, I was sharing, a reporter called me this week about something, I don't remember what it was, and I was sharing with him, well, you, this whole idea of white nationalism is really kind of strange because Jesus was a person of color. Um, there are no Europeans in the Bible. <laughs> you know, they're all uh, people of color. And uh, the greatest theologian in the early Christian church was St. Augustine, uh, who was from Africa, but not just Africa, from a, from a place in Africa called Hippo, which is North Africa, and please don't take this the wrong way, but North Africans are extremely dark, <laughs> you see. Um, and so it's like our, our Savior was a person of color. Who knows how dark he was? He may look more like Luis um, uh, than, any, than anybody else here because he's Middle Eastern, Palestinian uh, color. Um, but he could have been darker than that. There are some early drawings of Jesus being dark. Um, no, no doubt about that, that, but he was a person of color, and I have no doubt that, that when we see St. Augustine, we're gonna, some of us are going to be shocked uh, at uh, uh, just how, how dark this person who our faith, as far as doctrinally, was built around uh, in the 300s, uh, I think it's 300s AD, uh, from that. And so how we got from that to now it's all about, um, you know, if I was to put a picture in here, of a, of a black Jesus, you know, how would that make you feel? You know, don't answer that out loud, but how would that, you think, that's strange, right? And I'm like, well, no, that's probably more accurate, um, right? But because of the Renaissance period, that's when all the, uh, when all the biblical figures became European, uh, was, was through the Renaissance. But 
the gates of hell are not, we have to be active. And, here, and here's, here's what I want to leave you with. This was, God brought this to my mind several years ago. Jesus tells us that we're to be salt and light, right? You are the salt of the world. Um, and if a salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing but gravel. You are the light of the world. Don't put your light under a bushel uh, from that. And, and I think we get the light right, but I think sometimes we misinterpret the salt. Um, because we think, again, salt is preservative, right? Salt stops the spread of corruption. Salt makes, you know, you can take, if, if, if a piece of meat is rotten, you put salt around it, and you still can't eat that meat, but it can protect the unspoiled meat. And so salt is used as a preservative, which is defensive. And there is a role for that, but that's our kind of salt. And have you ever wondered what Jesus meant by if the salt loses its saltiness, it's not any good for anything but gravel? Because that doesn't make any sense, does it? Because in our mind, when salt is no longer salty, it doesn't exist. It dissolves, right? I mean, because it's a chemical compound. In Jesus' day, that's not what they were talking about. You had the Dead Sea, um, uh, where, you know, and salt was a commodity, and so salt, was, the natural type of salt was a rock. You know, I mean, it was big. And so if the salt was no longer salty, it could still be used for gravel. It didn't disappear. It didn't just go, it didn't fade. It just lost its saltiness. And so then, so when salt loses its saltiness, it's no good just use it as gravel for people uh, to walk on. But salt was so important um, that Roman soldiers in Jesus' day oftentimes were paid with salt. That's where we get our word salary from. See the relationship between salary and salt? And so they were paid with salt because salt was an offensive weapon. If you went into battle, you would take this salt, and if you put this salt on your enemy's fields, it would kill the crop. And then, as long as the salt was on that field, then it would make the, the field where you couldn't grow anything for, for a long time afterwards. And so the salt was used to destroy the crops of the enemy. And when the salt loses its saltiness, then you just rake it up like gravel and you put it on sidewalks. That's what Jesus at least partly had in mind. And he says, we're to be salt. That means that as we live our lives, as we proclaim the kingdom of God, as we do good works, not, um, in the words of Martin Luther, not because God needs our good works, but because our neighbors need our good works. As we do these things, it's like we are putting salt on the enemy's field so that the crop of the enemy can no longer grow. You see, and that's really what's been bothering me lately. I had this conversation with pastors in Honduras. Um, I think the same thing could be true for the United States. It could be true for Russia. It could be true for maybe the Ukraine. I, I don't know. I don't know a, a whole lot about that. But think of the United States. There, especially in the South, there are churches on every corner, right? I mean, how many churches did you pass? to come to this church in, in a school, right? I mean, there are churches on Natchez Street, just down Natchez Street, there's five or six churches, you know, right? So there's churches on every corner. 80 some out of, 80 somewhat percentage of people um, in the South anyway would claim to be Christian. Um, and that's, you know, probably about, I mean, that's what in our own city, probably that would be the claim, right? We churches on every corner. Everybody claims to be Christian. Don't you think 
our community should be a little bit different than it is? If that is true? I mean, I said this to pastors in Honduras when I was down there recently, and I thought, well, you know, the same thing could be applied to me, but I got to thinking, you know, for years our church would go on mission trips to Honduras and, and uh, medical evangelism, and then we would come back and report how many people um, uh, made first-time professions of faith, how many people rededicated their life uh, to Christ, and sometimes in a week's time it could be hundreds. Right? We would all clap and, and give God glory. Would, you know. And we were just one church involved in one week of one ministry and before COVID, thousands upon thousands of North American churches would be going down to Honduras every week doing that thing, reporting the same number of conversions every week. And, and in reality, don't you think by now, the whole country of Honduras ought to be Christians based on the numbers. But yet it's corrupt, there's more violence than ever before. Um, and, and, but yet the same, thing is, the same thing is true for us, is it not? And I think, the, and then, you know, um, it, it, they, there were some articles I read about the, you know, the, the large number of people in Russia who, who claim to be Christians, and I don't, I don't doubt that at all, the large number of Ukrainians just all around the world and how Christianity is growing all around the world. And I'm thinking to myself, if that is true, things should be a lot different than they are. Why are they not? And the answer that I come up with is because we are being defensive. We're gathering in our own little huddles praying that the world doesn't corrupt us when in reality what God has called us to do is to go and be salt and to pour the salt on the enemy's fields so that the fruit of addiction would not take any more lives so that the fruit of homelessness would not continue to grow so that the fruit of violence would not continue to grow. The fruit of corruption. Uh, if we were doing what God had called us to do, we should be able to go and take on anything that's going on in our world, confident that nothing can defeat the church. When the church is being the church, it is the hope of the world. You see? And one of the biggest problems we have, I think, not just us in the United States, but just around the world, is that we have retreated as a church instead of going out there and engaging the enemy in the spiritual combat uh, for the souls of other people. Uh, that's, you know, um, I was reading Acts again. Uh, and there's an incredible thing, you know, if you read our program, um, we say that we want to build a church, um, kind of an Acts 2 biblical community. And in Acts 2, it talks about how um, there were no needs among the people, you know, that, that people would, in Acts talks about people selling what they had to give to the poor to make sure no one was need. And there's an interesting verse in Acts chapter 4, I think it is, where it says of the church, get this, it says of the church, there was no poor among them. Can you believe that? That that early church was going out, changing their world so much, fighting the corruption around them. That's one reason that they started persecution against the Christians is because they were messing up the social order of things. That there, here was this group of believers, for the most part, most of them were coming out of the underclass. But yet, 
the Bible says there was no poor among them. You see. Why? Because they were being the church. They were attacking the enemy's fields. Pouring salt so that the fruit of that unrighteousness could no longer grow. As well as being preserving. But there's, there's this offensive mindset. And so as Christians, and, and um, you know, I have friends who are pacifists will tell you that you know, being a pacifist doesn't mean that you don't fight. It just means you fight nonviolently. You, know, you, don't, you, don't, you don't kill. There's other ways that you go about uh, things, and that's how you change the world. And, uh, and I think it's time that we start, we start doing that, that we start changing the world, following Jesus into those rough things, not retreating, not retreating from the world, but engaging the world knowing that Jesus has promised that the gates of hell are not going to defeat the church when the church is being the church. Take that for what it's worth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray um, that something was said through this rambling that that you meant for us to hear. Uh, Lord, we pray... Um, that we will look around us and uh, we, will, uh, we will pray, uh, but Lord, we will also put feet to our prayers and uh, be active in whatever way that, that you're asking us to be, uh, to, um, to go about bringing your kingdom. Lord, we pray along with Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, we see things going on all around us that we know are not going to go on in heaven. And instead of retreating, you've called us to take the kingdom and to bring that reality here. So may we be people of prayer, but may we also be people of peace and people of action. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing this song of commitment. On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Where the dearest standeth for a world of sinners was slain, but I'll cherish the old rugged cross till at last my trophies I lay down. I will clean. again so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at 
must I lay down? I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Once again, we just say thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that we leave here more committed, more challenged to do whatever it is you've called us to do, to bring the kingdom of God into reality, being confident that nothing this world throws at the church will defeat the church. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Bloods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. The Tennessee Holler provides relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at www.tnholler.com. The Bloods of Justice Podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com. Or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.